Trachier, Winwood Radio. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. That's I A N T R O T T I E R. You are tuned in to your Wednesday edition every week, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am right here with you making a crucial and critical attempt. To help you realize that your eyes are wide shut. So what was it for me? You may ask, Ian, why do you dedicate a week self-funded to get your various messages out there? Perhaps you can look in my catalog, my archive on iantrache.com. That's I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Scroll down until you find Ray McCovern. What Ray does with himself after serving 27 years in D.C., in the CIA, he aims to help people just like you and me realize that we got major issues going on in this country. So again, what was it for me? It was a nasty neurotoxin. A.K.A. Nalid or Dibrom. Those are trade names. A pesticide, a mosquito pesticide sprayed here in Miami to combat what? The threat of a Zika virus. That's what, that's what it was for me. And that's what I'm telling you. This is what I do because of that. Because that pesticide was used in Miami, yet it was, it's deemed completely unsafe by European Union standards. It's a, again, it's a known neurotoxin. October 10th, Susan Lindauer will join the program. She's a graduate of Smith College of Massachusetts and the London School of Economics. She's an American author, anti-war activist. Who likes war? Hmm, not I. And she's a former U.S. congressional staffer. Now, I'm a very proud American, and I'm very proud that we have a strong military. Okay, I will take second to none in that regard. But you have to ask yourself, are, are some of these wars that we get ourselves into, or I, I say we as Americans, that America gets itself into, are they necessary? Google the name Anthony Sutton. As you study Anthony Sutton, former Stanford Hoover fellow, you'll realize that maybe they aren't. Unless all you want to do is pad your 
coffers in your bank account. It's called a military-industrial complex. President Eisenhower spoke about it as he was leaving office. So, Susan Lindauer, London School of Economics, and author of Extreme Prejudice. She'll be joining October 10th. Uh, she's a uh, former, and I mentioned this, a U.S. congressional staffer. October 3rd, Carl Denninger will join the program, widely considered a founding member of, excuse me, the Tea Party. And I urge you to please go back and look at what Carrie Cassidy is doing out of Hollywood. She joined the program last week. ProjectCamelot.com is her website, her efforts to really dig, right? And that's, 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 what, that's one of the things that sets us apart from any other country is our ability or, well, our freedom. Everybody's got the ability, but well, our freedom to dig. And finally... I would like to uh, well wish. Uh, she's been a former guest on the program. She's been uh, one of our staunch and my earliest supporters. Uh, given so much to this program, uh, she supports from Calgary and uh, uh, Fabula, and I know she's listening. Keep marching forward. And uh, Discussion of Truth really appreciates your support. I will be right back on the program with the founder of LibraryofAlexandria.org, and that's L-B-R-Y-O-F-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-I-A.org. Jay Scalloway would join the program. And at the quarter-minute mark, we will be joined with former CIA operative and current author Charles Sam Faddis. Again, you're tuned in to Discussions of Truth. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. This is Winwood Radio.
start up the fight, there's an evil feeling that is James Hetfield and uh, Metallica. I, I love to open with it. I love to segue with it. And we invite and we have on live with us right now, Jace Galloway. Jace, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Fantastic to have you join the program. You are on Winwood Radio, sir. Tell us about yourself, will you, please? Yeah, I am a... Uh... I am an expert of nothing, as I like to call it. Um, what what uh, I've accomplished in my life comes from self-directed education. It's more popular known now as the unschooling method, but I was one of those youngins that was left behind by the No Child Left Behind Act, and I had to take control of my own education. So my accomplishments from... Uh, marketing and business and technology um, are all accumulated outside of the current education system. So uh, that's who I am. That's what makes me me. I love to learn. I love to help other people succeed. So, Jace, you you have kind of a phenomenal story. Uh, We've gotten to know each other a little bit. You, uh, you, by all means, you are a self-starter um and uh are fairly well accomplished in what you've been able to do on your on your own um overcoming various obstacles in your life but what really drew me to Jace is his uh, ambition to give back and uh really understanding the importance of decentralizing the way that information is uh, given and received. And so tell us about your current project, Jace, uh, the Library of Alexandria. Yeah, the, the Library of Alexandria project, uh, that stems from an inspiration of uh, actually a, a real-life question that I asked myself. I got married this year. and um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, and one of the things my wife and I were talking about is, you know, the the potential for procreation and the future of what that means for our children. We we live a, a pretty alternative lifestyle. We live as expats, so our definition of living somewhere is not usually more than three to twelve months. Um, and we had a question of. What does that mean for raising children in the world? Would we have to change what we want? Or are there other options? We looked into unschooling. We looked into radical unschooling. We looked into homeschooling, as she has experience with. And then the question started to come to my mind, what if there was a better solution? And i very familiar with decentralized philosophy, how that applies in the digital space. We've had prototypes in our history, such as Bitcoin and Wikipedia, different types of examples. And I started to wonder, what if there was a way to get the best educations anywhere in the world, or even any education any anywhere in the world, through something like the magic of blockchain? I started working on this about three months ago and just haven't stopped. I haven't been able to. I don't think I could live with myself if I stopped, not just for the benefit of my own posterity, but 
really myself as a part of a human collective. Uh, that's that's why we're building a, a new decentralized library of Alexandria to benefit all humanity, all creativity, all innovation. So, and you just recently moved uh, to the states, the east eastern coast of the the U.S. from Mexico, right? From the Baja California portion. Correct. Yeah, I was in Mexico for several months with my wife. Uh, that was our. I guess extended honeymoon, but really just uh, exploring a little bit south in our expat lifestyle, uh, which is new for us as a couple. I've I've lived as an expat uh, in different parts of the country for quite a while now. Um, but yeah, we moved recently from Tijuana, very misunderstood part of Mexico especially if you're in the SoCal area, um, to the eastern seaboard right now before we plan to uh, head further east, the far east, to explore even more and actually fact-check and verify um, assumptions and educations that we have about that region of the world. And Jace, you've got a call to action for listeners today? Yeah, yeah. I've got a special offer. You, You've already shared the... The website, libraryofalexandria.org, library spelled L-B-R-Y. That's a play on a decentralized platform that we're excited to be utilizing. Uh, the call to action is if you text the word radio to the phone number 864-633-3692. Once again, just text the word radio and that'll get you a, a special, special Winwood, <laughs> special Winwood offer for all your listeners. And Jason, closing for listeners that are curious, and they, they go into the, the their web browser and type in uh, libraryofalexandria.org. Uh, what what do they what, what what can they expect? What 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 can they expect from their their visit to your website? What they can expect is a presentation of a proof of concept of a new way to educate ours the vocational teachers any any teacher that is doing it as a vocation you know the teachers that you know they they work a side job to support their teaching habit to entrepreneurs to business owners or to any self-starters like yourself who want to educate themselves on a skill or uh, anything that should just take the time to invest rather than the money. It's a radical new way to solve free education with capitalism for a change. Excellent. Jace, thanks for joining Winwood Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Jace Galloway of LibraryofAlexandria.org. Thank you, Jace. Thank you. And we will be right back with former CIA operative Sam Faddis. Again, you are tuned into Winwood Radio. I am your host of the weekly program, Discussions of Truth. My name is Ian Trottier.
that is exactly what we attempt to do on discussions of radio, discussions of truth, Winwood Radio. Seek out corruption. Destroy it. As we attempt to make America keep her strong and make her stronger. We are now joined by a great American hero. Thank you for your service, Sam Faddis. Sam, can you hear me? I can hear you. Great to be here, man. You are in Italy. Is that correct, my friend? I am. I am in Tuscany. What What in the world is going on in Tuscany? Uh, I'm working my way through the uh, the wine of the region, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and doing my best to take just a little bit of time and relax. Excellente. And you're and and you are you you have come on to the program, taking some time out of your out of your your uh, your vacation or relaxation. Uh, to join Windward Radio, we appreciate that. And for listeners out there to realize, it is five nineteen on my clock. That's PM Eastern Standard Time. It is past midnight for Sam. Isn't that right, Sam? Pushing midnight anyway. Getting close to it. Okay. So, Sam, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, and you've got a very interesting book, which I'd love to discuss and and have you tell us about. Beyond Repair, The Decline and Fall of the CIA. And that, that coming from an author, you, of a, of a man that uh, is highly educated and spent, I, what is it, 20 years in the CIA? That's correct. I was in the Central Intelligence Agency for 20 years. I was an operator in CIA. Before that, I was in the U.S. Army. And in the Army, uh, what, what was your role in the Army? When I was in the Army, I was a combat arms officer. I was also, for a while, actually an Army lawyer. And then I got out and became a spy. Were you a JAG lawyer, Sam? I was, in fact. I defended those who defend America. And you were a captain in that organization, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Now, Sam, you've got something very interesting in that you know Iraq, and you possibly know it better than even... The people in the White House during the invasion of George H.W. is that or George W. Isn't that right? You went in. You were the first group to go into our into, into Iraq after 9/11. That is absolutely correct. I took the first teams, uh, CIA personnel, into Iraq early summer 2002. So we were in Iraq nine, ten months before the invasion started on the ground inside that country. What was your mission? Uh, what was your mission in Iraq at that time? What were you doing? So, you know, it is, um, it's like, it, it's like any such operation. Uh, in other words, we had a whole bunch of missions. Mission number one, uh, prep the battlefield, uh, work with the Kurds, set the stage for the invasion, make it possible for everybody else to flow in behind us and take down Saddam Hussein. That's mission number one. Okay. Um, did you accomplish that? Yeah, I th- yes. I mean, it, it, let, me, let me just say this as a caveat, um, because this is, this is where any discussion of Iraq goes when you start talking about 2002, 2003. Okay. Uh, our mission was also to hunt Iraqi weapons of mass destruction, but our mission was not really to 
let me put it this way. The decision was made before we went into Iraq that we were going to invade Iraq and take down Saddam Hussein. So intelligence we acquired on weapons of mass destruction was valuable, but there was no go to Iraq, find out if he has WMD, and if he does, we're going to get rid of this guy. Uh, we were sent to Iraq, that decision having already been made. So we worked that target as well, but but we, we went there with the explicit orders. The, the decision to launch an invasion was made. That's a done deal. Let's make this happen. So you, you, you had gone in to find the weapons of mass destruction, but there was already a campaign that had been preset to invade. Is that right? Yeah. That's, yeah. So it's not like it wasn't an important target. Not like we didn't hunt for them. Not like we weren't yeah. acquiring intelligence on them. What I'm saying is it wasn't a precondition. That decision was made. That decision was made as early as February 2002 that this is going to happen and we're getting rid of this guy. And did you find any weapons of mass destruction? No. Did not and did not ever tell them that we found weapons of mass destruction. Why not? Why didn't we find them or why didn't we? Why didn't you <laughs> why tell didn't... them? Well, look, you know, uh, when you when you operate in when you operate in the in the agency, you have professional ethics, right? That's what drives it. It doesn't matter what the politicians want to hear from you. Okay. You tell them what you find and you call it as clear. Yeah. as clean a game as you can. So as we used to say in the field, look, if we find this, I'd be the happiest guy in the world to send this intelligence report straight to George W. Bush. Well, we don't make stuff up and we don't shade the truth. We find what we find. Then Washington makes the decisions on what to do with that. Now, when you were in the Army, what type of law did you practice? I, I was a criminal lawyer. And so, I mean, Yeah, go ahead. So I represent. I represented, I, I, I did court martial work, which is criminal law practice. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, to go into Iraq as basically the, um, the, the initial, oh, you were kind of like the initial boots on the ground. Would that be, would that be proper to say that? Yeah, not kind of. We were the initial guy. When we first went across the border, I was in the lead vehicle. There were a grand total of eight guys eight Americans in all of Iraq. We, and we weren't ever more than a few dozen guys inside Iraq. So we were on our own inside Iraq for close to a year. What was your cover? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you look, uh, you don't look anything like a Middle Eastern guy. I mean, I'm looking at your picture and you, sure. right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Did you wear a wig? To, to quote my cousin Vinny, uh, you know, I didn't blend, right? So, um, <laughs> Yeah, look, you know, we used to get junior officers sometimes that would come in after we'd been there a few months, and they would be obsessed with that question as well. And I would tell them, look, man, there there might be one very not particularly bright fellow here in Kurdistan who hasn't figured out who the white boys in the Land Cruisers with guns are. Yeah. But if so, he's the only guy. So what's your cover? You're CIA. Now let's get to work. That's... That's your that's your deal. We got to figure out how to deal. There's no vanishing into the the countryside. You got to figure out how to make that work. You got to figure out how to stay alive, and you got to figure out how to get your job done. So that's what you do. 
So who did you have as your your wingman? Did you have like Navy SEALs? Who who, who was who was part of the, that twelve men uh, uh, army? Well, I mean, so you get you got a whole mix of guys, and this is actually typical of the way these things are the, the way these things work around the world. So you got a mix of different types of CIA personnel. Some of those are what I could guess laymen would call operators. Some of them are more shooters. You got also yes, guys from a whole variety of U.S. military special operations units, you name it, at one point or, time or another, we had representatives of all of those groups. Um, and the way this works downrange is, you know, they can play whatever bureaucratic games they want to play in Washington, D.C. None of it makes any difference on the ground. On the ground, you're one team, one fight. That's not, that's not a slogan. That's, that's what you live by. Nobody cares about any of that. You just all work together, sleep together, eat together, and get and, and get on with the mission. What, tell listeners what what were what, what what did it look like? I mean, you you would you would you obviously had to defend yourself. I would assume at some point there were guns drawn on you. There were bullets flying at you. Is is that right? Would you would you encounter uh, this type of? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, look, you you the entire time we were there, we operated obviously with friendly Kurdish forces. Most people are familiar with those guys by this point in history. I mean, the only reason we survived was because we lashed up with them and they were allies of ours. Um, I mean, the Iraqis spent a lot of time, once the Iraqis realized what we were after, they spent a lot of time trying to trying to kill us, sending assassination teams trying to kill us. Uh, fortunately, you know, in all of those cases, we identified them and one way or the other got rid of them uh, before they did any harm. And then at some point this turned into a complete shooting war, right? I mean, in the early part of 2003, we were the, our team was, you know, sabotaging things, blowing up targets, taking out trains. Uh, our guys were up on the front lines calling in airstrikes. So yeah, at that point it's absolutely for, fortunate. I mean, it's just, it, yes, it's, it's, it's dangerous work. Uh, people are getting killed all around you. I, I am, happy uh, and proud to say that every guy I took in country I brought home safe and sound but that's that was not guaranteed at any point in time that's phenomenal and and you had uh, a wife and kids back home while you were you were you were doing this yeah absolutely yes and as obviously did uh, others most of these other guys I mean you know I mean teams like this are put together. Teams like this are not uh, Marine infantry squads, by which I mean they're not 18, 19, 20. They're not 18, 19, 20-year-old guys. Uh, when you get into the world of this kind of intelligence and you fold in special operations people like we're talking about, you know, real fast, you're talking about guys that are at a minimum 35 years old because that's how long it takes. Yeah, the training. To seasoning and the experience and the expertise necessary to do this so you know these are still hopefully guys that are in good shape i, I should say guys also some gals um in good shape and can take care of themselves but uh they've been around for a while when, when you entered iraq what was your closest base of safety where was, where was that stationed at that time this is what 2002 you say where, where was your closest base yeah, well, I mean, I, I suppose the, the closest uh, allegedly friendly country was Turkey. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
you know, the reality is that as most people that are familiar with the details of the Iraq operation understand, the Turks never really were supportive of this entire effort. And so at a lot of times when we were in Iraq, actually the answer was we didn't have a way out. I mean, the Turks, the Turks were not cooperative. The Turks weren't supportive. And, um, Honestly, we were far enough down in the mountains and far enough south in Iraq that the Iraqi army could have closed us off and sealed off our exit faster than we could have gotten out of country. So um, you kind of you kind of go in and you're in for the duration. How are we coming out? We're coming out when Baghdad falls and Mosul's when we finish the job. That's how we're coming out. You're a bit of a modern day Alexander the Great. Uh, it's it's very uh, <laughs> very noble what what you've done here. Well, you know, there's another there's another Greek uh, Xenophon that most people don't know about who once upon a time, back in that same time period, marched into Iraq with a whole bunch of Greeks and then found himself having to fight his way back out because he was sort of trapped in the country. So uh, as students of history, we used to often say, uh, let's let's try not to re- recreate that plan. Let's not let's yeah. try not to have to fight our way back out of here through the mountains. And Sam, how, how deep into Iraq did you get? And, and for how long were you there? We were there basically, I mean, pretty close to, to a year. We didn't come out until Baghdad fell, Mosul fell, Kirkuk fell. My team, wow. our, guys were, our guys were the first guys along with uh, additional special forces that had showed up by that time. Our guys were the first guys into Kirkuk. Our guys were the first guys into Mosul. Um, I came out after Baghdad had fallen and, and basically the invasion in that sense was over. So, um, you know, we went in, we were in for close to a year and we came out when we finished the job. Unbelievable. And were you in there with anybody else? British, any other allies? French? Uh, not really. (laughs) No, you (laughs) Well, I mean, there's, there were, it, it, you know, it's, it, there were all sorts of people that claimed that they were going to come join us when this whole mission mission began. Okay. And uh, the longer it went on, the, the lonelier it got. The more the more people didn't ever show up for the party. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, Sam, what 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 would you eat? I mean, let's let's uh, some of the basics here. What what, what were you eating? Well, I mean, we lived with we lived with the Kurds, so you eat what the Kurds eat, man. So we ate a lot. Of, we ate a lot of goat. We ate a lot of sheep. We ate a lot of diced diced vegetables, and we ate a lot of rice. But I mean, I say that jokingly, but you know, I mean it literally. We ate what they ate, so they weren't living any better than we were. They were, you know, we what they had, what they had, they, what they had, they shared with us. Excellent. Um, so now let's get into uh, Sam. Let's get into this book here. Uh, right. the decline of the, of the CIA. Um, right. It, go ahead and, and and explain what's what 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 drove you to uh, to write something like that, and what do you mean by it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, when I left the when I left the agency, I left the agency not because I I had to leave the agency. I made a decision to retire from the agency, largely because I felt like this is an incredibly important place, and it's kind of lost its way. And uh, there are a lot of things that need to be done to fix this place. And in order to talk about that and in order to advocate for that, um, 
I got to step outside. You know, when you, I mean, in other words, I got to get my voice back. You can't, you can't be or shouldn't be inside a clandestine organization talking publicly. You got to make a choice. And that was the choice I made. And essentially, Beyond Repair is is a book that says, look, the CIA needs to get back to its roots. Great people, yes. Does great things, yes. Uh, but has become too risk averse, too bureaucratic, too much like a, another federal bureaucracy. And it's, you know, it's not putting the points on the board that we need as a country in an increasingly dangerous world, right? Where you have weapons of mass destruction, terrorist groups, threats that emerge very rapidly and can result in huge damage here at home. You know, this is this is a time in history more than any other when we absolutely got to have the best out of our folks. And we're not getting it. And I don't mean by that that we got a bunch of people who don't want to do the work. I mean, you got a bunch of people who are being prevented by risk aversion, bureaucracy and process from getting after it and doing what needs to be done. Yeah, I've got it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago I was contacted by a current uh, operative in the CIA. And uh, this person goes by the alias of James Pars. And uh, he's right now dealing with, if you Google that name, uh, uh, you know, open platform Google, um, you'll get various reports about a year old of the court case. But um, essentially he is dealing with um, some very kind of um, internal issues uh, with how he was managed uh, in the CIA. And, um, of course, he's identifying himself as a whistleblower, if you will. And and as I communicate with him, he's because he's a current operative and he's saying, look, any information that I give you obviously has to be approved by the CIA. Um, but it's interesting because a, a former guest on the program, I'm sure you're familiar with the name, uh, Ray McGovern, um, is you know taking an extremely hard line against many aspects of you know somebody that's been in D.C. for three decades, many aspects of uh, how uh, politics are, are ran in D.C. Uh, but one of the phrases that he mentioned to me, and I and I said, I said, Ray, this is you know this is what Eisenhower is talking about, and I don't know if you want to talk about it, it, go in there, go that way or, at all. But I says, you know, this is a military-industrial uh, complex that is spinning out of control uh, for for the American in their constitution, their way of liberty and, and life. And he says, he says, no, no, correction, Ian, this is a military-industrial media complex. I don't know if you have any comments. Yeah, I think, well, that I hadn't heard that exact phrase put exactly that way until just now, but I think that's a perfect summation, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And, you know, I'll say is, this is a caveat up front. I, I, there's no question that when you're, whether you're talking about the military, whether you're talking about intelligence agencies, law enforcement, the average guy, the average woman, in these organizations is doing their level best to serve the American people. That's, that's, you know, they're all about the mission, but at the senior levels of this giant complex where the political animals live, the guys that have spent their entire career standing near the flagpole, making political connections and advancing themselves. That's a very different world. 
and it is it is a an unelected fourth branch of government in league with the media in league with a lot of other interests and and the danger for the republic is huge that's real that's not fantasy uh i don't care what barack obama thinks that isn't uh that isn't conspiracy theory that isn't nonsense that's happening all day every day um you know look look at look at benghazi um you got guys on the ground, guys who were abandoned to die. Those that survived, survived because they took things into their own hands with the help of some other guys on the ground. And before their bodies were cold and the embers had stopped glowing, all Washington was doing was spinning that story and lying about what had happened for political interest. And you got a former president of the United States who stands up in broad daylight and still spouts those lies. That that's that ought to shock the hell out of you. I don't care where you are in the political spectrum. That ought to shock the hell out of you. Yeah, that's thank you, Sam. And that's that's my that's my main uh, modus operandi, if you will, is that you know, look, look, guys, it's not about being Republican. It's not about being a Democrat. It's 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 I, I Cynthia McKinney joined us uh, a little over a month ago. And she, you know, she was a staunch Democrat. I think her father was a former uh, high, 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 high uh, level politician out of uh, Atlanta for sure. I'm not sure what it was, governor. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, but uh, she left the Democratic Party to join the Green Party, and she ran for president um, under the Green Party uh, up against uh, Barack Obama. Uh, but that's, you know, that's 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 my main mo. Uh, Sam is exactly what you just said is uh, listeners out there listening to these words that are coming out of my mouth and, more importantly, your mouth, is that this is about upholding the U.S. Constitution. This is about upholding those things that we take for granted because they are falling apart. So, Sam, can you tell us what was it that did it for you that said, hey, wait a second, you know, I, 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 called, you American, I called you an American hero. And any any man that's willing to any woman or man that's willing to put themselves in their life on the line like you like you did on in, in Iraq is is more than a hero. You're 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 a fiber of what this country runs on. Again, regardless of what political side of the aisle you you fall on. Well, what was it as you dedicated so many years and decades to serving? this amazing country that we've all inherited what was it that did for you what what is it that, that said well no things are not adding up you know this is these people are buying out to these special interests you know whether they're three levels above me or wherever they they, they may be you know, like the benghazi cover-up or whatever they try to do there what was it for you that said no this is nuts i'm, I'm going out I'm, I'm coming public i'm gonna start writing books what was it for you was there anything in particular that you can share with listeners well, yeah, I don't think I think this is a process of of um, it's a process of evolution. So there's a lot of things, but I will I, I will I will say this, and I'm not sure this is directly responding to your question. I I went over, you know, I was in the United States Army. I came out of I was in a military family. My brothers are military, a retired military officer. My dad is a retired military officer. My son's a combat wounded vet out of Afghanistan. I mean, we, we're just one of those families of which there are millions that doesn't make us, 
special. That just makes us another one of those families. Uh, I ended up in the agency because I thought, if you really want to be on the cutting edge, way out in front of the front lines, making a difference, this is where you need to be, which is true. I spent close to 20 years overseas in the agency, came home, and it wasn't, and, and, it, and there was a realization that took a while, you know, it's like a lot of things that are profound. It takes a while for you to realize exactly what it is you're feeling. But eventually you realize something happened to this country while I was gone. Wow. Like while I was out on the front lines here, me and a bunch of other guys and gals defending the United States, something very bad has been happening at home. We've, so you realize, wait, the nation that I grew up in doesn't necessarily really exist in the way it did because you, and and and, a, and there are obviously a lot of pieces of that, but a huge piece of that is what has happened in Washington D.C. We have we we have lost con- control of this complex, whatever you you want to call it, and you can see it in Washington D.C. right now. You know, however you feel about Donald Trump, I don't care if you love him, you hate him, if on alternate days you're somewhere in between, whatever. What's happening right now is a deliberate, massive nationwide effort to destabilize a sitting president and prevent him from governing and ideally prevent him from finishing the term to which the American people elected. That's straight up what's going on. Again, whether you like him, you hate him, whatever. That's terrifying. I mean, we have a constitution, an electoral process, checks, balances, Supreme Court. We got a whole bunch of mechanisms for controlling our government and limiting power. And none of them involve a a whole bunch of unelected bureaucrats in league with mass media and a bunch of billionaires tearing down a president. I mean, this is effectively a coup in progress. And that's God knows where you go. Once you set that precedent, then we are well on the road to to losing our democracy. Yeah, former guest uh, Paul Craig Roberts. Not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was an economics advisor uh, under Reagan, and uh, he said it right here on the program. He says, "He says, Ian, you no longer have this country. No longer has constitutional rights. It's a facade." You know, Americans live their day thinking they do, and I haven't, I haven't looked in, and I haven't con- recontacted him enough. It, it, clearly, he knows what's going on economically much, much more than I could attempt to understand. But that's that's what he that's what he said. So, where that did resonate with me, Sam, was the the arguments. Uh, again, uh, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they they sit on. But there is an argument out there, as we saw the crash of 2008. Are some of these are some of these massive banks that are covered? These corporations are they uh, manipulating uh, our republic in a way that is causing uh, this disruption? Do you have any comments on that? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether. Whether I would say they're, they're deliberately manipulating it, I think manipulating it in that sense. Um, what I think is undoubtedly true 
is you have huge, very, very powerful interests, many of them economic interests, who no longer think that sort of the common good and the welfare and the nation comes first. In other words, folks who, we, we've pursued economic policies for 30 years at least that have hollowed out our industrial base, impoverished the nation, increased income inequality, forced Americans all over the country to work three part-time jobs with no benefits to hang on by their fingernails. And yet we've held course in that for 30 years because people at the top have been making ungodly sums of money by offshoring all of our manufacturing and making stuff in sweatshops yeah. across East Asia and now South Asia. And now that we are beginning the process of trying to push back on that, we got all kinds of screaming. Yeah. Now, how is that possible that for 30 years you can hold course on a policy that harms the vast majority of Americans? Um, where where are, has, has, have our congressmen and senators and other leaders been throughout this entire time period? And why would they continue to pursue those policies? Because the folks at the top who are pulling the strings are the ones that are getting filthy rich on this stuff. And so it, that's what I mean when I say think you increasingly have people that are and interests that are incredibly powerful, and their interests don't align with those of the United States in the right. sense of those of most of its citizens. Right, exactly right, a absolutely. So, so Sam, let's let's get into for listeners again. This is this is a man that that dedicated twenty years to the CIA. Beyond Repair is the name of his book, The Decline and Fall of the CIA. So what is the instrument to repair? Can this be repaired? Does a central intelligence agency need to be replaced? How could it be replaced? What's your vision for, again, repairing, repairing this? Well, if you talk about CIA, I mean, in the book, effectively, what I say is you should tear the place down and start over. Wow. Do I think that's the simplest solution? Yeah, I think that's the simplest solution. That's the cleanest solution. That's like a home improvement project where you just get to the point where what's the answer? The answer is we need to start over. Again, this is not a condemnation of the rank and file, many of whom are great friends and they're risking their friggin' lives every day. Um, do I think that's going to happen? Unlikely. Uh, yeah. What's, what's uh, the next best solution? Um as my buddy Gary Bernson would say, uh, take it down to the studs. If you're not going to tear it down <laughs> completely, it's going to take some radical remodeling. Um, that's all that's, I mean, what, this is about getting back to basics, man. This is, this is about saying, okay, look enough. We're not about process paperwork and climbing the ladder in Washington, DC. Yeah. We're about penetrating ISIS, stealing the keys to the kingdom in North Korea uh, doing all the impossible jobs the country needs us to do. And the answer is we're going to do whatever the hell it takes to make that happen. So all of this is eminently doable. It begins by the president of the United States saying he wants it done, sending somebody to headquarters to with that charter and then supporting them in, in doing what they're going to have to do which is probably going to involve firing a number of senior people. 
And that's going to be like taking over a military unit where things have gone a little soft. It's going to be making some loud noise and enforcing some standards and let's, let's get to work here. Can it happen? It can absolutely happen, but that's what it's going to take. And so far, honestly, despite the fact that Donald Trump seems like he's willing to shake things up other places, I have not seen any indication it is happening yet. Does does he have the same concept and understanding that the that the, that there's corruption in the CIA that you do? You know, I, I I don't think so. I think I think one of the problems here to in line with what you and I have been talking about over the course of this interview is that no matter how bad you think the situation is in Washington D.C., it isn't until you wade into that swamp that you start realizing the extent of the problem, that you start realizing that these people at the very senior levels who have become the problem, not the solution, have gotten used to playing this game. They wait out presidents. They wait out administrations. You can give them all the orders in the world, and then they just wait until you've moved on to the next problem and continue to do business exactly we're doing it beforehand. And that is, that's business as usual, Washington, D.C. Just ignore the elected representatives of the people. Um, and I, I think that, that the president is still in the process of assimilating how bad that is. And then, of course, finding the people necessary to fix that. And who would that be? Well, I mean. <laughs> you and me. Right. Well, he just recently—I mean, he just recently appointed Gina Haspel to be head of the CIA, and I've never had a crossword with Gina Haspel. But I mean, Gina Haspel is the status quo. Gina Haspel is whatever, whatever the whatever the state of the organization was the day before she was appointed. She's never going to make any meaningful change in that. She's holding the same exact course. So that appointment didn't necessarily make anything worse, but it didn't even begin the process. That's it's going to require somebody that goes in there and shakes it up. I, he's confronting this problem, in my opinion, across the board, all across Washington, D.C. Just even pushing two years into this, realizing, oh, my God, I thought all of these people worked for me in uh, the executive branch, yeah. but in fact, they are all fighting me. Right, right. Um, I had, uh, we had on, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, he was, uh, in charge of the nuclear football. Are you, are you familiar with that term, Sam? Yes. So, um, Buzz was, uh, Robert Buzz Patterson, uh, was, uh, next to Clinton for two years in the White House, had a room in the White House. He was within two minutes, uh, two minutes of being right next to Bill for, for two years. And I, and I said, I said, you know, he did the Monica Lewinsky. He was, he was right there through, through all the, all the, uh, the, the, the turmoil, if you will, I use that word again with with, right. with Clinton, but 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 I says I says look I says I says I says Buzz I says I says was there any was there ever any time where you felt like like Bill was being puppeteered by someone above him, whereas whereas he was he was you know and, and of course of, of course he's got to, he's got to please uh, the, the those that have donated to his to his campaign and and that and put him in the office and that sort of thing, but 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 but. What I wanted to get at was 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 there somebody really above him that uh, that and that that was kind of subjugating uh, his decision making uh, and uh, and 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 he said yes 
He said yes. So if we apply that, if we apply that to the CIA, and let, let's say like you're saying, these people will wait out presidents. Uh, you know, they've they've got this, they've got this down. Who is it, Sam? Who is it that they are uh, uh, selling out to? To use that kind of layman's term, who is it that they're that they're uh, that they're at the end of the day that they're that they're that they're um, they're, they're selling themselves to? Well, in some cases, look, it's very straightforward. I mean, they're selling out to, to, to express very well-known political interests. So let's talk about, you know, uh, Mr. Brennan, former CIA director John Brennan, right? Uh, John Brennan was never a case officer, CIA term. In other words, he was never a spook. He was never an operator. He was an analyst, a guy who sits in Washington, D.C. and writes finished intelligence. Not, I don't mean that to sound denigrating. Important sure. job. Early on in his career, he got appointed to be the briefer for Bill Clinton. So his job is to go down every morning, carry down the the intel that everybody thinks the president needs to see first in the morning and brief him on it. And uh, he parlays that FaceTime into a personal relationship with Bill Clinton. <coughs> so uh, end of story in terms of John Brennan's career as a legitimate CIA uh, person. From that point on, his entire career is nothing but a political connection to the Clintons and to the Clinton machine and to everything associated with it. And so where is he, you know, which takes him to the very top of the organization. Ultimately, where is that guy now? He's no longer a government service, but he remains a mouthpiece for the Clinton machine. I'll just use that term. I mean, he, he runs around every other day on a television show playing the part of the senior retired intel guy who's aghast at what Donald Trump is doing. He might as well be a press spokesman for the Democratic Party, for the interests aligned with them. Uh, Sam, are you familiar with uh, a man named Captain Nathan Hale? Uh, Captain Nathan Hale, as in the guy who died during the Revolutionary War? Yes, sir. Yes, Statue is uh, in front of CIA headquarters. Correct. He's also there's also a statue of him at Yale, and uh, I believe also at uh, Phillips Exeter in Andover. Uh, just just an interesting uh, tidbit for listeners who are interested in in uh, in, in in discovering who uh, Nathan or excuse me yes Nathan Hale uh, was. Uh, Sam, thank you for joining Windward Radio. Uh, and it's a pleasure to have you on, sir, and, and taking your time out from from your. Uh, your your vacation and relaxation. Do you have any last words for listeners to walk away with? Well, our, our uh, my my latest venture is we're actually standing up an online magazine called And Magazine A N D. So check us out, A N D Magazine, ladies and gentlemen. Charles Sam Fattis, enjoy the rest of Tuscany, Sam. Thank you, sir. Good talking to you. Unbelievable, I tell you. Unbelievable the quality of guests that we have been fortunate enough to have on this program. And it never ceases to amaze me the wonderful and incredible Americans. And really what it gets down to is being a freedom fighter for Everyone globally. Like Sam just said, get into North Korea, change things, 
right? I mean, look, if there's injustice, if there's if there's a if there's a a, a criminal act on humanity, if people are suffering, then it's up to you and me and everyone else who's benefiting from this wonderful project, if you will, that turned into the most amazing country ever, America, we're living it. So stand up and make sure that it stays incredible. Get over the divisions politically. You just heard it from a guy that spent 20 years in the CIA. The CIA is corrupt. It needs to be gutted out, taken down to the studs, a complete remodel. Only you and me can make that happen. It's a term called we the people. Whether you like Trump or not, whether you liked Obama or not, these are the people that are leading this country Don't you ever forget, you put them there. Okay, fine. You can say the majority vote went to one person and then the electoral college went to the other person. You don't like that? Change it. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts. You've turned into Winwood Radio. I am your host of the weekly edition of Discussions of Truth. That's Wednesday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am right here on this microphone speaking to you. And always, cutting in and out with a little Metallica. Seek it out, destroy it. That's corruption or any wrongdoings. You got it right there from Sam Faddis. The Central Intelligence Agency needs to be rooted out. It's corrupt. Things need to change. 
buy his book, Beyond Repair, The Decline and Fall of the CIA. Visit his website, samfaddis.org. That's S-A-M-F-A-D-D-I-S dot org. He took his time out of his vacation close to midnight in Italy to join Discussions of Truth on Winwood Radio. That is an American hero. And what an example he sets. He's been on AON Network. He's been on Fox News. He's been on Fox Business. He's been on CNN. He's been on Frontline. He's been on the History Channel. It goes on and on. He was a U.S. Army armor and JAG officer. Assistant Attorney General for the State of Washington. This guy's a big deal. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. And you need to wake up. You are walking with your eyes wide shut. Hopefully it doesn't take a neurotoxin pesticide to be sprayed on you to wake up and and, and talk about it. But you know what? I do appreciate you listening. Sam's written many books. Go go visit his website. Willful Neglect. A Dangerous Illusion of Homeland Security, <laughs> Operation Hotel California, The Clandestine War Inside Iraq, Clandestine, Codename, Aphrodite. These are all the titles of his books, Barbarossa. Yeah, he's written all of them. And Kaffa, C-A-F-F-A. Okay, that's a lot of good information. October 3rd. We'll be joined by Carl Denninger, widely considered founding member of the Tea Party. Soon after it began to grow to national prominence, he began to distance himself from the Tea Party as he saw alignment too similar to that of the National Republican Party. An outspoken opponent to corporate fraud in the U.S. financial system, Denninger works to clean out and sift through the very nepotistic tentacles that run Wall Street. Here's a key point. Denninger is a certified ham radio operator. If you don't know what a ham radio is, check it out. Author of Leverage, How Cheap Money Will Destroy the World, because it's already doing that. I'll be back next week, next Wednesday, as I always am, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Right here, Winwood Radio, discussing the truth. And until then, be awesome.